Hello, Screeters. Today, I would like to talk briefly about my intentions and where they have gotten to. So, I started doing an anchor cast as I hoped it would be a place where we could talk about podcasts. Just like people talk about, you know, blogs or whatever. If you go back to the very first episode, I wanted to talk about another podcast, Gaming and BS. And um, because, I mean, how do you call into there and give a long, you know, diatribe about what they're saying and how it's right or wrong or what your thoughts are about it? And I thought that Anchor might be a wonderful place for us to discuss things like this uh, over audio. Wow. I think it's blown up. Like anything, a community will slowly build until it hits a critical mass. And then it'll splinter into different places. And I think that's what's happened, not necessarily, but pretty much, on the Anchorites as well as the Discord community. Uh, We first started the Audio Dungeon Discord, and I named it a place for the RPG Anchorites to hang out. Uh, discuss technical issues, discuss their episodes with each other, and a place to talk to their listeners. It's a weird community because most of the listeners are also podcasters as well, but it's come to a place where many of the people from that community are starting their own Discord servers, and so discourse is then being done there as opposed to at the Audio Dungeon Discord I think it is still a nexus because the majority of the people that have slipped through the ADD still are there and if you call them out will show up. I'm one of them. I don't interact nearly as much as I used to. I still try to keep uh, administration moderator duties, but my interaction is less than it ever has been. But... I think that's just the way that it is. If you feel like it's differently, let me know. I also wanted to say that demons, your inner ones or otherwise, are often summoned by saying their name thrice. But angels, you only need once. You're a bad man, Hobster. A bad man. Fancy suggesting that old Spike Pit has moved on. Goading me into calling you. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh dear, oh dear. You are lower than the belly of a snake in a wheel rut. That's all I've got to say. Replacing me with the other Jason. Curses. In this day of so much competition against the RPG Anchorites... I think we can all learn a lesson from our own vanity and hubris. And please don't take me too seriously, but that was a call in (laughs) from Colin Green of the Spike Pit Podcast. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Thanks for calling in. Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. I don't know. What I do know today is Wednesday... July 21st, I <laughs> don't know, 2020, I am Jason Hobbs, and this is Random Screed.
If he is up or down, his podcast still comes round. Hobbs is in his van. Don't turn off that sat nap man. Random screed, random screed. Don't know what you get, but it's what you need. Hey, Hobbs, it's Arlen. Um, I wanted to pick up on something that you said about challenge in the most recent Fine Lines episode, um, specifically because I think you hit on a really interesting point, which is that um, one of the, I don't want to say limitations of old school gaming, but one of the kind of structural elements is that often I think because you only really have rules for um combat challenges in a lot of games it can be easy to lose sight of challenging the players in other ways um and particularly i think one of the reasons why this is important is because um i've been sort of talking about it on my podcast this idea that um in other types of stories we can recognize that characters can be challenged in a lot of ways beyond just whether or not they can survive a ferocious combat you know, ferocious combat is definitely a challenge to survive, but it is not the only way that players can be players and characters can be challenged. And in particular, I think one of the things is that more kind of story focused and character focused challenges actually um, do a better job of pushing the narrative forward than the um kind of combat challenges often do, right? With combat, it's kind of often it ends up becoming a sort of all or nothing, you know, you succeed or you fail, or, you know, you make some progress, but you don't entirely succeed. There's not, I think, a lot of um, interesting narrative that inherently comes out of a um, the combat success or failure beyond just, you know, deciding who lived and who died. Whereas, for instance, in our Crystal Shard game, I think the um, interesting thing about about that game is that uh, all the stuff with cola and the black ice and the sort of struggle to try to interpret what was going on and, and all those kind of character challenges really drove the narrative forward. And I think if you look at um, other types of narratives, you can definitely see that too, that, you know, often these kind of character challenges, challenges to the characters beliefs or ideals or their, um, instincts or their um, assumptions or any of those sorts of things that are sort of inherent to the way a character thinks and feels often that those I think do a really good job of pushing the narrative forward kind of inherently there's there's something interesting that will come out of excuse me either success or failure in those challenges or and even success and failure may be a kind of too broad way to describe those because often Often it is not necessarily just a matter of success or failure when a character's, you know, beliefs are being challenged or something like that. So um, I thought I would just chime in and say I think that's one of the things that we can do as game masters is to remember that there are a lot of ways to challenge the players and the characters that aren't just by using the combat rules. And especially if we have a system where most of the kind of rules challenges are combat rules, even then we can do kind of interesting things with the narrative that will challenge the, the players and the characters 
Um, not in the same way. It won't be, you know, you can't get that war gamey feel, certainly, um, without like serious social combat rules. But that ultimately you can do kind of that sort of challenge and have, I think, more interesting narrative consequences sometimes than combat. I guess what I'm saying is it seems to me that one of the kind of structural elements of old school play is that you're not necessarily... Um, when the rule book sort of lays the tools out, most of the tools for challenging the players have to do with either, you know, combat or like, you know, maybe an attribute test to check, like if they can hold their breath or if they can walk a tightrope or something like that. But for the most part, a lot of the challenges as laid out in the rule book is going to come from combat. And that given that the game is more than just the rules, there's a lot of other stuff that you can do. Um, and I think that goes back to your point um, from way back when we were talking about old school play and um, agency and that sort of stuff, that there is a lot of stuff that you can do with these old school systems. You just don't necessarily have the rules support or the rules encouragement to, to do that sort of thing. And so you have to... And that, Screeters, was Arlen Walker, and he is live from Pelham's Wasteland. <clears throat> if you dig that sort of deep dive into theory of role-playing games from a person who actually gets the games and either runs and plays them, this is not just from read-throughs, this is from actual experience, then you should check out the podcast live from Pelham's Wasteland and hear Arlen blather on most intelligently about these topics. I've heard people say they're sick of theory, gaming theory podcasts because they've heard it all before. Well, I don't know what they're listening to because I haven't heard exactly Arlen's take on gaming in general from anyone. And I think we can all learn from and that experience. So if you want to, go check it out because I love listening to it. So, I would like to have a rebuttal, or as we say here on Random Screed, counterpoint. I agree with you. There are not many mechanics beyond combat in old school games. Um, perhaps we should... I mean, what are old school games, people might ask. Well, hopefully by this time you have your idea or some or if you have questions call in and ask me or if you want to just call in and say what you think the old school games are go ahead but hopefully most people are on a relatively even footing as far as that goes and would tend to agree i would challenge you <laughs> see what i did there to find what games do have social interaction or as you said social combat which i don't really like personally I feel like those games, the One Ring, Burning Wheel type games, and um, the situations that, in my experience, those rules seem to get in the way of what I <clears throat> am used to calling just regular play. So what Arlen is calling non-combat challenges is pretty much what I would say old schoolers would just call role-playing or regular play, but that doesn't detract from his point concerning how actual play or role play or non-combat challenges 
can move the narrative forward, I would go so far as to say it is the narrative. Most of the time during combat, you don't have a lot of narrative. I'm not saying you can't because I usually, in my games, and I've seen other people do this as well, they actually try to include narrative during the combat. Like you learn something about what's going on, about, you know, you learn lore about the past, you learn um, more plot hacking elements during combat if you are doing a good job in my opinion or if that's what you want to do as a GM maybe you don't want to that's that's good for you um, but I find that interesting what he's saying here um, the only real social interaction rules are the reaction rules reaction role from say a BX type game uh, some other games like uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 1st and 2nd edition went so far as to say here is the temperament of the current NPC and now you roll a reaction roll and you're trying to adjust that temperament into a place where you may be able to get information or you know interact in a different way with that NPC or NPCs is that enough I don't know that's one of my problems with running urban type games uh, thieves guild games uh, political games there isn't a lot of you know stuff out there that helps you run those types of games and that's been a sticking point for me yeah I can make it up as I go but I don't always want to do that and I don't want to only rely on player competency uh, in order to decide how well the players characters interact I want those characters to be able to maybe have some skills or some methodology to do things and I mean is it really just a diplomacy role and you're done I don't know that doesn't seem like enough either so talking about player competency let's move on I'm not sure I gave that one enough though hmm. we'll just have to see maybe it'll give Ireland more time to counterpoint himself Hobbs, it's Rob from Down in a Heap. I think you bring up a really good point about player competency. Uh, it's a topic I don't think many people really talk about, maybe because it's not a easy one to have with your players. I know I've uh, lost my shit with, <laughs> with a group at times when they're complaining about getting nowhere or something, and it's, well, and I've, like, fired off this long email detailing all the boneheaded decisions they made and stuff along the way and that's why their fucking party wiped um, and of course I regretted it but uh, but I got my point across but there the problem was the game system they were playing well it was twofold the game system we were playing 5e requires a lot more player competency than some others alright I'm going Jackson I'm going to Jackson. So, yeah, 5e requires the, the players to really be a lot more familiar with their characters because there's just more that they can do, and there's more that the monsters can do. And if they don't realize that, they're going to be in deep trouble. In fact, I've had more party wipes in 5e than my old school games because I think they, they got reckless. They had hubris. They thought they were supermen, and they really weren't. They were paper tigers, especially when they didn't utilize their stuff. So we move back to simpler forms of D&D. But the other issue is, is, uh, blah, 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 is I think that uh, 
a lot of those players were kind of coddled in their past games, and rather than it being a challenging game, the DM was more or less just narrating the saga of their heroic players' achievements. I don't know. But yeah, it's in the DM's hands too. And obviously the DM can change their approach if you know the game isn't progressing as smoothly or as quickly as they'd like, or if the players are having constant setbacks and getting frustrated and stuff. But the other aspect in all of this are the dice. And I think that's an, a subject that doesn't really get attention either, is just the the swinginess of a D&D game with uh, rolling a d20 for saving throws and to hit and all that, and for the opponents doing the same things, that can really just change a whole encounter by a string of bad luck, and it happens. And um, there's that's just inherent in the game system, and there's not much you can do about things like that. So, anyway, enjoy the last uh, episode. Hope you keep it up. Be well. All right. There is Rob C. from Down in a Heap dropping some dimes about player competency. So this is an interesting view or observation uh, from a more old school GM. Some would say this is the reason that uh, indie games and modern design uh, have come about, especially if you read John Wick, right? All right, John Wick isn't the right name. Some other Wick. I think I'm getting my streams crossed. Anyway, this idea of player competencies is there the reason for their situation is their own player agency and decisions. But not all player agency or player decisions can be created equal. Uh, as Arlen has said in the past and on his own show, we are sometimes products of our environment or situation. And yes, we can learn some things, but at the same time, is a dwarf ever going to be able to flee a knoll? Think about that, all you old schoolers out there. I'm talking about my OG screeders. No. If the GM allows them to chase after, they are not going to be able to flee. Yes, the dwarf could throw down some food, chop off his own hand. He could do something to maybe distract the knoll long enough to get away. Uh, and then you could use a reaction roll in that situation. But if the knoll chooses to fight on, it's going to kill the dwarf because he cannot get away. He's not fast enough. He doesn't have the movement rate uh, capability in order to do that. So... In some ways, the decisions are now narrowed in that situation. So, anyhow, great uh, topic, I think, um, if I do say so myself. That wasn't my intention when I started speaking there. But uh, Rob C., thank you so much for calling in. Arlen Walker, the same to you. And I guess I'll even give some kudos to my buddy, Colin Green from Spike Pit. Now... I don't think I'm going to bring up another topic. I'm wondering if there's enough here from what these guys have to say and what I have said in response that we can get some more conversation going. Normally, I probably would have waited a day or two until I played or ran a game uh, and then had something to add. But uh, when I get a lot of call-ins, I feel like I have to do a show that much faster. So 
you guys, if you want more screeds, do more call-ins. TJ, take it away. It's a beautiful day in the gamerhood, a beautiful day for my gamers. Would you be one? Could you be one? It's out of that thunder, but don't despair. This colony's breeding great robbers. Would you be one? Could you be one? If the native mortality rate works for you, for a few bucks a month, you can sign up and have the hogs to you. So let's make the most of another someday. Brew up some coffee and play it my way. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my gamers? Won't you be? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my gamers? Wait. What's this super secret postscript for those not listening on Anchor? Anyway, guys, I wanted to uh, thank a couple guys for answering the call, considering um, editing Hobbs and Friends. So we're moving forward on that, and I just wanted to uh, thank Carl Hay and my man, G <laughs> I say Jerry because that's what he uh, his tag is, but Rich on Cockatrice Nuggets. So we're going to move forward with that, and maybe we'll have a team or We'll see what we're going to do, but hopefully we can get that going. And, uh, yeah, thanks again for listening, everybody. It's really exciting to see more people listening, more people calling in, and uh, the sun shining again. Stay alive. Let's go to an old, old, old callback because it's better to burn out than to fade away.